Welcome to The Do Zone, where real entrepreneurs share real strategies about getting things done. I'm your host, Josh Thomas. Tag me at JT Literally and show me what you do in The Do Zone. Every week, I'll pick the best post to feature across all my social networks. This podcast is brought to you by Factor One. If you're a six-figure entrepreneur who's looking to hit seven this year, there are three key shifts you need to make right now in order for it to be possible. Go to imfactor1.com now, and I'll show exactly what those three key shifts are and how you can get them set up for your business in less than six minutes. Once again, that's imfactor1.com. Today's guest is Justin Garcia. Justin Master Chim Garcia was born and raised in the Bronx, New York. He's a former MMA fighter. He's the author of the book, Tribalnomics, and now runs Three Roads Coaching Group. Justin, welcome to the Do Zone. Tell us something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. Well, number one, uh, thanks for having me on. And to answer that, I'd say accountability at a level that creates discomfort. Mm -hmm. I think that most people, when uh, they want to get something done, they find a way to do it while still doing all the other things they still want to do. And uh, that discomfort, I think, you know, is, is hiding the solution to most people. Discomfort is one of those things that our brain is hardwired against. And it's it's like we're constantly fighting against nature to grow and thrive and achieve because that puts us at risk uh, for our survival. <laughs> and if you think about back in the, the prairie days and the saber-toothed tigers, standing out made you a threat. And so how do you how do you manage that and fight against it? Because I agree with you, but how do we push past that and get uncomfortable anyway? Well, I hope I don't make too many listeners uncomfortable, but the same type of uh, stray away from nature that leads us to have obese people living in poverty, uh, that leads us to having uh, people with $100,000 cars um, and can't make their rent, like the, everything is upside down when we try to cling to this idea that we're just going to do what's comfortable and what's natural because we're not living in a natural society. We're living in a in what I call in my content an aquarium, and the aquarium has rules and there's there's ways that we excel in the aquarium. And first and foremost, I would say it's accepting that you're not going to be comfortable and the uh, the idea that you know well I just want to do what feels right and I just want to do what's natural. Uh, at some point, we have to call it for what it is. It's a cop-out. You don't want to do what you're supposed to be doing because you haven't built up the resilience and the relationship with who you are and where you want to be to withstand that pressure without losing a sense of who you are. You know, And, and I think really building what I call the tribal wall around an identity uh, and self-power is described as the thickness of that tribal wall. It's not the ability to control our outside circumstances, but by, by contrast, it's the ability to retain who we are despite the stress and pressure that's the out, that the outside world is putting on us. Mm, well said, you know, and specifically when you were talking about accountability, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about that topic because accountability, in my opinion, is, is one of the keys to success as, as an entrepreneur in business, also as a person. But there are three different types of accountability, at least that I know of. Uh, there is that internal accountability of this is who I am and I'm going to stand for that. There's the external accountability that says, Justin, this is who I am and I'm going to stand for that. 
And then there is a time-based accountability that is says, I'm going to achieve this goal by this point, and I'm going to make sure that it happens and set that deadline. And so I'm I'm curious, you know, what it sounds like you're talking about is more of this kind of internal, I know who I am. Have you uh have you kind of ventured in the aquarium what forms of external accountability exist in, in those rule sets? Well, I would say a commonality that, that maybe strings those three types that you codify together is a uh, the threat of a consequence, right? So there is an internal consequence, but we, we find that, you know, aside from having, uh, I guess, great parents or, or a productive upbringing, it's very hard for most adults to start with that version. Uh, but it winds up being, I'm going to put myself in situations where if I don't get it right, uh, I, like I got a big consequence to pay. Um, I'm an avid hiker. And uh, one of the things that I do uh, is I go on these these uh, these uh, there and back, you know, out and back type hikes where you'll go on, let's say, a 10 mile hike. I went on one a few days ago and I'm at that five plus mile end point, And now it's time to turn around. And I found myself just a couple of days ago about two hours away from getting back, but also about an hour and a half away from losing light and the only way that I could get back is number one, except that there was no other way than hiking back. And so there was nobody to call. I was out of, you know, cell reception. There's nobody from miles away. I'm in the middle of the woods here in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. Uh, and there is a relationship that I build on a regular basis, ritualistically, with coming to terms with. It's either do it or there is a big significant consequence to pay. Mm. Yeah, well said. And, 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 you know, I know that you speak a lot about kind of tribal dynamics and uh, the, the, the tribe is strong. The tribe came about and I don't want to I don't want to say this the wrong way. But my understanding is the reason we started flocking towards tribes and we created these tribal dynamics is because people were safer in larger numbers, especially in early history. Could you talk a little bit about how tribal dynamics from the perspective of a leader of the tribe, how does that ultimately shape us as human beings? So I say that the, the tribe in, in a general sense has two missions. Uh, one is self-preservation, right? Creating that, that next generation of members of the tribe, you know, it, which it scales down to the individual, it scales up to the tribe beyond that, but to the level of the tribe, it's certainly there. And the other one are the rituals that make us us. Now, if I'm uh, living in a an arid, hot type of climate, uh, I'm going to adapt rituals that allow uh, me to not only thrive in that environment, but also embedded in those rituals are ways to pass those answered questions, those solved puzzles down to the next generation. So that is 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 a mechanism of what we're doing ritualistically. And I think those elements of tribe that started way back whenever, you know, can be found in our tribes that we have today. And I think whereas most people think that the tribal type of thinking is something that will eventually you know evolve past uh, i think they're they're trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater because when it comes down to it you know the way um you know if you've ever you know, if listeners have ever heard of dunbar's number I, I would suggest you go and research that and it's just a a scientific way of of saying our brains are capable of maintaining a finite amount of personal relationships 
And being that there are limitations on the type of relationships that we love to have with the people in our lives, we have to understand that in modern society, we're going to be exposed to more people than that than that number. And so we have to have rules, you know, about why we need to invest in certain people more than others, why we should be loyal to certain people more than others, why we should expose ourselves to risk to certain people more than others. And it has less to do with uh any sort of isolationist i would just want to be by myself and do my own thing then it is well this all has to work and if everybody did this for themselves everybody would be able to get along and everybody would be stronger for it so at the heart of tribalism it is thriving in an environment that wholly wants to see you degraded and destroyed <laughs> it's the sad truth but yeah and, and so, I wouldn't um, be sad about it, right? These these are the rules of the game we're playing. And the first rule of playing a game is have fun while playing it, right? <laughs> right. It, you know, and, and the other thing, you're right. I shouldn't be sad about it because the fact that those rules exist say that anybody who decides to just follow those rules is going to succeed. That's anybody right. Anybody who tries to push against it is going to fail. And, and at that point, your decision is binary, do I want to be on top of this heap or do I want to be in like the messy middle? That's right. That's right. And I think um, most people, they, they are so obsessed with the end product that they remove the relationship that the process is trying to build with them. You know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Alan Watts amongst other, you know, writers and, and philosophers throughout history. And one of the things that I love and Alan Watts does a piece on, you know, uh, why we listen to music and it's whatever the you know your your reason for listening to music it's certainly not just to hear the last note you know it's not like we're we're getting all the other notes out of the way so we can just get that last <laughs> one that we wanted to hear and very similarly a lot of these processes that wind up giving us some sort of fulfillment either abstractly you know psychologically spiritually or or physically you know there's a process to be enjoyed and i think when we understand that movement is what's mandatory and not just the end game you know that's when people will start i'd say building a better relationship with the opportunities they have in front of them uh, and I'm, I'm just curious because you you made a connection to the tribes of today and the tribes of way back when i'm curious could you could you identify one or two characteristics or traits that we still exhibit today that came from some sort of survival mechanism of the earliest tribes? Is there anything that's kind of really made it through all of these thousands of years to, to still be alive and well today? Well, I would say much more than two, right? I'll, 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 I'll give you a good one that uh, tends to make people feel uncomfortable because I would say there's not really a, a, a productive context usually anchored to it, but the idea of us and them, the idea of this is us and that is them. Now, mind you, for those of you guys listening on the, the cheaper you know uh, speakers, I didn't say us versus them, us and them, just that there's a distinction to be made in my group and not my group, right? And the reason that uh, made sense back then is the same reason it makes sense now, because resources are finite, resources are limited, right? So the idea of us and them allows us first and foremost to understand where our resources should be allocated. Who am I trying to provide for? The other thing, because you asked for two, is the idea of sacrifice. 
right? So without a tribe, there can be no sacrifice because sacrifice is you investing one, everything that an individual has up to and including his own life for the extension of another identity. Without tribe, one identity cannot see himself in another. And without that connection, sacrifice starts to become something that is unproductive and not something that's considered honorable amongst a group. And there are plenty of situations back in history, right up until today, where sacrifice we could see as not only necessary in some situations, but something to be admired and honored and put on a pedestal in terms of attributes and virtuous behaviors. Strong, strong. And I'm sure we could come up with five or six, seven, ten more than that, for sure. When you were speaking about us and them, it it reminds me of I have a book on my shelf here called Habits of a Happy Brain by uh, Dr. Loretta Bruning. I've actually met her, spent a day with her fascinating woman. But she talked about the uh, the patterns of uh, apes who are very territorial. Certain types of apes are territorial, certain other types are not. But what they would do is they would kind of carve out their territory and they would patrol the perimeter. And whenever the two opposing patrols would encounter each other, they wouldn't necessarily fight and engage and dominate each other because of exactly what you said. Resources are limited. It requires a tremendous amount of resources and energy for me to fight another ape. And so I have to size them up and say, am I going to win this fight? And it only when both of them 100% believe that they're going to win the fight does a fight ever happen. Otherwise, they're just kind of like, hey, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. And that's how and that's how they did it. It was us and them. It was never almost rarely versus them because it was an unnecessary expenditure of energy. So that makes a lot of sense what you're saying there. You know, and I would I would add on top of that, that having evolved as we had as as you know, social beings, as social primates, you know, more specifically, there is something to be said for because being a, a you know, I've owned a martial arts school in New York for over 20 years. That I still own, aside from the, the coaching stuff that I do. It's always, I, I think, a connotation or maybe a little slant on my content that people think that I'm an advocate for for conflict and domination and alpha and all this aggressive nonsense. And it couldn't be further from the truth because at the heart of it, as just illustrated in that story you shared. It is always going to serve us better to not unnecessarily risk what it is we have just for the sake of dominating somebody else. And and the Tribalnomics, the, the book that I wrote, is really about understanding what those dyna- dynamics are so, so that we could build productive alliances with people who may not necessarily reside within our tribe's walls. And so tell me more about that, the Tribalnomics book. Who is this, who is this really geared towards? Who's the, who's the audience for this and where can we get it? I would say, well, it's on Amazon. Uh, Tribalnomics is on Amazon. I would say that it's geared towards anybody that has leadership responsibilities or aspires to be a great representation of who he who he is and where he's from, right? And and by the way, I keep saying he only because my my coaching groups is is for men, but uh, the Tribalnomics and and the content certainly isn't reduced to men. Uh, I would say that. When you understand what tribe is, you understand, uh, you know, those two aspects that I had mentioned earlier, um, you know, self-preservation and and the rituals that go along with it. These things collectively create what I call the mission. And when you have an understanding of what your group's mission is, 
you're for the first time in a position to lead because a leader, uh, one of the sayings from the book, I, I use it often in my content, is a leader is a compass, not a direction. A leader says, this is where you are, this is where you're going, let me show you the way. As opposed to the more autocratic, selfish, tyrannical type leaders that say, wherever I go, you're supposed to go because I'm the leader and you're the follower. And what winds up happening is that type of leadership exposes themselves to the, the fallibility and, 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 uh, and limitations of just the, the, the human brain and the human emotions. You know, the guy, the boss that you have is when he's in a great mood, he's a great boss. When he's in a terrible mood, he's a terrible boss. Like this, this emotional, you know, back and forth that it's very hard to build a strong tribe with. So understanding something as simple as what I define as mission is incredibly empowering for somebody who has any aspirations to being a leader that people want to follow. Love that. And and where can we go to learn more about uh, your your coaching and uh, who you serve? So my website is Master Chim. That's Master C H I M, as in monkey, because of your gorilla story. C H I M, uh, MasterChim.com. You can go there, and my books there, my uh, mailing list, every everything that I do is there. Awesome. Love that. Justin Garcia, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing a little bit about how you get things done and especially getting into the tribal nomics. I recommend everybody to pick up that book, Tribal Nomics, on Amazon. And you can learn more about Justin Garcia by going to masterchim.com. That's C H I M. If you listen to us on your morning commute or during your workout or somewhere out in the field, be sure to snap a selfie and tag me at JT literally and tell me what you do in the do zone. Also, if you're ready to break the seven figure barrier in your business, but you know what got you here ain't going to get you there, we can help. Go to IamFactor1.com now and let's see how much impact we can make in less than six minutes. Know this, you are Factor One for your own success. Now let's get to work. If you're a small business doing at least six figures and you're trying to level up, but you keep getting smacked down, pay attention. There are outside forces at play that you're almost certainly not aware of. No, I'm not talking about the president, the economy, the Federal Reserve, or inflation. I'm also not talking about your industry, your competition, or current market conditions. I'm talking about you. There are invisible forces that are keeping you from breaking through to the next barrier in your business. That's why you keep repeating the same cycle year after year. You think next time will be different, but what you don't realize is that you're running through a huge maze and your opponent has every turn memorized because your opponent built the maze. Until you get your hands on a map and come up with a plan of attack and execute it, you're just going to keep running circles over and over and you'll lose every time. You'll never find the exit without a plan. The good news is your opponent is predictable. Your opponent follows the rules. You can beat your opponent because you don't have to follow the rules. You see, you have free will. Your opponent is restricted to the rules of the game, but you can make your own rules. You just got to have a plan. And in order to get a plan, you first have to take responsibility for putting yourself in that maze without a map to begin with. Because you are factor one for your own success. Your opponent is your comfort zone. If you're ready to stop running circles in the same circuit year after year and finally break free from the maze, join factor one. We are a unique development program for six-figure entrepreneurs. 
We'll airdrop into your exact location of the maze with a paper and pen, and we'll help you draw a clean map to the exit using our bird's eye view. We'll also arm you with the tools you need to defend yourself properly, and we'll walk with you shoulder to shoulder to make sure you get out safely this time. We don't leave anybody behind that doesn't want to be left there. Join us. Go to imfactor1.com right now, and let's talk about getting you out of that maze once and for all.